Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Impossible, Part 2, Calming Storms, recorded Sunday, March 27, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. How many of us do feel some fear as we look in at our world, as we, as we look at the uncertainty of so many things? And really, the record of the last couple of years have not given us much hope because we get a little clench in the heart when we think about what's happened and what could be. The scriptures often deal with the fear of believers, and Jesus especially steps into that. We're on this journey in the book of Mark where we are learning how to thrive in the kingdom of God. One of the ways that he wants us to distinguish ourselves from others is in, this, in the realm of fear and, and anxiety. And the bottom line is this. It's really the epic choice that we're called to. Do we trust him? Do I trust him? He calls us to a life of faith no matter what's happening in our life, he wants us to trust him. And that's what this story that we're about to look at, this scenario unfolds for us. So if you have your Bible, your device, your notebook, we're in chapter 4 of Mark. And I'm going to use the NIV version, even though we've been using the New King James for this series. I'm going to step into the NIV with this one. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. So Jesus is saying, I'm going over there, and I'm going to make some things happen. And over there is a place called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is where the Gentiles are. And to this point, he's just been where the Jewish people are. Now, they were exhausted. They'd been doing all of this stuff, teaching, healing. Uh, I'm sure it was hot, because that environment is. They had to have been wiped out. There were also other boats with him, it says. A furious squall came up. And so the Sea of Galilee, by the way, is it's, it's in a bowl. And it's the lowest natural body of water on earth. It's the lowest freshwater lake on earth. And so it brings in all kinds of craziness when it comes to weather. And so it says the, the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And you have to ask, how? Well, he was exhausted. You ever been exhausted? You ever been so tired that you could sleep anywhere? It's probably been years for some of you. But I, we used to do something called, about 30 years ago in churches, we used to do something called lock-ins. Anybody ever done a lock-in? Like, I think the federal government has banned lock-ins. They're, they're like all the stupidity all, all stupidity all piled into one day. Like, it's crazy. And, you know, the older I got, the less I wanted to do lock-ins. I can tell you right now, because there was no sleep to be had. Crazy. Anyway, I think Jesus and his disciples were that exhausted. They'd done a this huge day. They were wiped out, Jesus especially. He'd been doing all the work. The disciples woke him. There's a storm going on. Disciples woke him, said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, Okay, I get it, but I think that maybe pushed a button. I think maybe he's thinking real big in this situation. 
Like he's thinking, what? I'm in the boat with you. What are you worried about? As a matter of fact, we see what happens and that kind of plays out. So he, he gets up out of his deep sleep. He rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still. And done. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like 15 minutes of all the, you know, everything's kind of quiet now. It was like, quiet. And I almost think he's doing that so God can say to these men who were terrified, as a matter of fact, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, that's facial, man. I mean, like, he's like, Jesus is calling them to this life and showing them he can take them anywhere. And he says, I'm taking you over there. Why would you even doubt that, even if there's a storm on the, on the sea? There's going to be storms. I promise. This won't be the only storm. We're going to see this as we go forward. And I think what he's showing them is, if you don't trust me in this, how are you going to trust me in the new storms? The ones that are going to be bigger and more frightening than this one. Because they'll be, they're coming. Where's your faith? Are you with me? Are you going with me? Now, it's probably a little bit of a rebuke. It's also encouragement. Because I think what he's showing them is, I'm going there. You're with me. Don't worry. We're okay. No matter what this, is, this storm means to you right now. Now, remember how this all started. They're on the Jewish side of the lake. They've been doing magnificent stuff over there. They, you know, they, they cast off the boat and just go to the other side, to the Gentile side. And he says, we're going to go over there and, and, and we're going to make it. I, I think about this always like in the realm of like being a grandpa or a parent and having kids. You know, because our kids tend to, to doubt us when we're in the middle of something that they can't understand. I mean, think about a time when you helped a child experience something they'd never tried before. Let's say it's, for instance, the octopus at the state fair. And for two or three years, they're like, Dad, Mom, Grandpa, I want to do that. And you're like, thank goodness that measuring stick's this tall. Because I don't want to do it anyway, but I can put it off for a year or two. Well, finally, they hit the mark, the mark you know. I can do it now. Okay, we're going to do it. Excuse me. Octopus always chokes me up. <laughs> and, and so, you know, you're in line, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to do the octopus. And, and there's something that happens with many of them. The closer they get to that rope, it's like, I think I want to do the octopus. And you, you, you kind of turn your, you know, like you turn your approach after a while because you've been in line for like 10 minutes. You're like, oh, you can do it. I'm going to be with you. It'll be okay. And you're like, okay, okay. Now, if, if they get to the point of the rope and they're like, I'm out, you're probably going to let them out, I, I guess. But what you're probably not going to do unless you're the worst parent, grandparent on earth is say, you little sissy, get on the octopus. I've been in line for 10 minutes. I mean, if you do that, we're going to all smack you on the back of the head. I'm just telling you right now. We're there to straighten you out. And you're going on the octopus. Anyway, what is more terrifying? This is what Jesus is going to show them. Being in a mega storm on a boat or being in this boat with me. And they say, who is this? Who is this who can sleep through this storm on a boat, wake up, tell it to stop? They were terrified. 
That's what it says. Now, using this experience with the disciples, I want to talk to you about your storms and mine. Have you ever felt like you're in the midst of some life and death scenario where all hope is gone and, and you, don't, you just don't get it? Have you ever felt that way? Where you've, it just seems like God's asleep on this one. And it can be anything. You know this. It can be, I could name a hundred things, but it can be things like grief or huge disappointment that something didn't turn out the way that you hoped it would. Or it could be losing your health or somebody you love, they lose theirs. It can be re- relational turmoil that just destroys you. The storms of life where you're upset and where you're afraid and you're thinking, I'll never survive this one. This is it. As a matter of fact, the question this reveals, I think is the number one reason why people will not let God lead them. And the question is this, when it comes to the storms of life, here's the question. If God is good, why? Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Peter writes to Christians decades later, that we need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Because you know what? I guarantee you, there are going to be numerous people who are going to say to you in your lifetime, if you're a believer in Christ, I just can't buy into a God who blank. You fill in the blank. It's making sense of the storms of life, the impossible circumstances, and I'm going to use a term that I didn't invent, it's, it's, it's a real thing, it's called a trilemma, that this puts us into a trilemma. A trilemma occurs when there are three equally true yet simultaneously controversial facts in play. Okay, so here's the ultimate trilemma. The, the one that we'll, we'll often find ourselves in with God and the idea of God. First of all, God is perfectly loving. God can do anything he wants. There's evil in the world. That's a trilemma. When someone's struggling with doubt and fear, they don't usually rattle off statements of the trilemma, you know, like, oh, I'm going to throw out these things and pull out a triangle. No, it's going to sound something like this. Well, if God's so loving, he can do anything. Why didn't he heal them like we prayed? Why did he allow them to die? Why didn't he stop that horrible rape? All rape's horrible, but that your rape is the one that you're talking about is the most horrible one. Why is he not intervening in the Ukraine? If God is good, if God can do anything he wants, why is there divorce? Why is there cancer? Why is that fatal accident that, you know, the sudden job loss? I need that job. Why the mental illness? And the list goes on and on and on. There's a lot of stuff. Back to Jesus, his disciples, they had big plans. Hey, guys, we're going over there. We're going to do great things over there. You're coming with me. Okay. Ever had a big plan? You knew how it was going to work out? Everything's falling into place? Then suddenly out of nowhere comes what, you know, the Greek word of the storm is a mega seismos, a large, large storm. 
and it puts you into deadly fear. And then you go, God, wake up. Why are you sleeping? Don't you see this? That's a trilemma. And really, they don't deal with that any differently than most of us and the rest of the world does. We, we, you know, when we see the bad stuff hit, it's like, wake up, God, don't you care? But what they had forgotten, and I think what it's, it's easy for us to forget this in, in when the world's rocking our boat, they forgot that when we're in turmoil and horror, he's still going somewhere. He still has a destination. He's still with us, and he wants us to go with him. So here's what we do, and you know this, but I'm, I'm going to point out the obvious, but I think it helps sometimes, because sometimes we lose the obvious in these things. So there's a couple things that kick in when there's a storm, when there's a problem in life that seems bigger than us. Logic and emotion. So how do we have an answer for the hope we have if someone's going through a storm, and how do logic and emotion play into that? Well, let's talk about the logic side for a minute. Suffering creates a logical problem for all of us. And it's the view from the world that it is illogical for God to be purely good and purely right and purely knowledgeable and all the things you throw into God with that and yet to allow evil. Because it seems so inconsistent. Because logically, if God is perfectly loving, perfectly good, and knows everything, then why evil? I mean, I mean, you know, let's face it, it's a logical dilemma. You know, he's like, we're on a mission, I am God, yeah, there's a storm, don't worry, because you're with me, wait, you know, he's not even, he's not even going to wake up, he's not worried. Does your sense of logic ever do this to you? What, I thought, what, what it comes down to is this. I can think of a good reason. I, 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 let me back up. What, what we think is, I cannot think there's a good reason for this evil to occur. So, therefore, there's not a good reason. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I can't reason it out, there must not be a good reason. So, in my van, that's vanity. That's what it is. In my vanity... I assume that God should fit into my reason and logic and instead of me thinking that maybe he knows a little bit more than I do about this. Now, so we see that in this, in this boat of turmoil on the Sea of Galilee. God has this bigger plan than the immediate fear they couldn't grasp. For one thing, they would have many storms arise in their lives. Beyond this one, much more challenging storms. And if they couldn't face this one with faith, how in the world are they going to face those? That's what he knew, okay? So he uses this storm. By the way, this storm has changed and challenged millions and millions of people to consider whether or not God can be in their boat when the turmoil is happening through the course of 20 centuries. So he has a bigger picture, see? You ever had a six-year-old in your life? You say, yeah, I'm married to him. He's sitting right next to me. No, I don't mean that. I mean a real, like a flesh and blood six-year-old, okay? You've experienced a temper tantrum. So it's 4.30 in the afternoon, and, you know, it's been a long day of school. You've been at work, and now you've got to scrape together from supper or whatever, and you're like, the, the, the six-year-old, Mommy, I want a Sour Patch rope. Well, no, 
now wait a minute. You're not having a Sour Patch Rub. But why? Well, because it's 4.30. We're going to have supper in 45 minutes. It's going to ruin your supper. But why? Well, supper's just an hour. But the sugar germs are going to rot your teeth out. That's, but why? It's gonna, you, know, you eat a Sour Patch Rub now. You don't eat supper. Then you're going to be hungry in an hour and a half before you go to bed. I'm not going to feed you again. And I'm not going to give you another Sour Patch Rub. But why? Because you're not going to go to sleep. You're going to be all hyped up on sugar. And then you're not going to get up in the morning when it's time to go to school. And then your teacher's going to text me at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and say it's the worst day of their life. But why? See, a six-year-old is learning through sour patch denial. I guess I don't know what's best. I don't understand why they can't see this my way. Now, we all know this is going to happen. They're 26 now. You've, been, you've actually held your ground. You're a good parent, grandparent, about this kind of stuff. You held your ground, and, and, and so they come back, and they show up and say, Hey, Mom, Dad, guess what? I just got back from the dentist. I got perfect teeth. That's never going to happen, by the way. <laughs> well, they might say that. They'll say, because I brushed my teeth for like 25 years or whatever. And you're going to say, no, it's because I didn't give you shower pads, ropes when you wanted them all the time. You see what I'm saying here? You see the kick that parallel? I know it's a stupid story, but look, if you believe there's a God who is powerful enough to create everything from nothing, isn't it logical to believe he can stop evil? Of course it's logical to believe that. But if God has reasons you don't understand, can you accept the fact that maybe his reasons superior to yours? I'm just asking. No, I want God to give me what I want, and I want it right now. God, why won't you put an end to the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Why won't you let the chemical kick in and actually kill my cancer? Why won't you save me? Look, I know these are big things, and they're hard and powerful things. Jesus came to show us something different about God, a different way to see God. And here's the thing. This is the thing to see. God is the right thing no matter what the thing is in your life. He's the right thing, even if everything seems wrong. God doesn't just do good. God is good. You say, well, why doesn't God make people do the right thing? That's a good question. Couldn't God just make people do the right thing? Couldn't God just get into Putin's head or whoever you want to put in there and say, you do this? Sure he could. I have no doubt about that. Why doesn't he? Because it goes against the creative logic of God. That's why. God created us with something called free will. God created human beings with the capacity to do his will. When we do his will, it brings glory to him. When we do not, that's called sin. That's our choice. And he won't breach that usually, most of the time. 99.9% of the time, no matter what. The reason that God's love means something is because you can choose to love. The reason that faith means something is because you can choose to have faith. Free will people don't automatically obey him. But when we obey him, it brings great glory to him. So in the boat on the sea, a few followers of Jesus, they're confronted with the same choice every one of us is confronted with over and over again in our life. Do I trust him in this dilemma, in this boat, in this seismos, in this mega seismos? Do I trust him or not? Logically, It made sense for them to have fear. I get it. 
And that, that creates then the emotional problem that comes with this. There's the logical problem, and then there's the more difficult problem. It's called emotion. The emotional problem is more intense than the illogical problem will ever be. And I have found myself that the logic of God does not always translate real well in emotionally hot moments when storms are brewing and, and we're in the middle of those. As a pastor, I'll enter into a place of fear and deep grief, for instance. You know, this would not be not be an uncommon scenario for someone who does what I do where I'll get a call and I go to the hospital where there's a waiting room and there's people who are there at a loss for words and all they're doing is crying because why wouldn't you? The person down the hallway, it's, it's inevitable now, they're going to die. It's, a, it's an incredibly emotional, understandably so, emotional room. And I will hear questions, all kinds of questions like, why is this happening? We were praying. We prayed and prayed. And where's God? Is, and people don't say this. Is he asleep in the back of the boat? But the, in, the inclination is, where is God? And why doesn't he wake up on this one? And like, I could do the logical stuff. I could say, oh, well, let me take you back to Genesis chapter 3. And let's talk about the fall of Ban and, and then how, you know, for for 4,000 years, God set up the scenario so that Jesus could come and, and you know, he can conquer death and, and everything's going to be okay, believe me, because he he's, he's going over there. He's going over there and we're with him. I could do that. You think I do that? I'm not stupid and I'm not emotionalist. Usually I'm crying with them and if I get a chance to say it and it's the right thing to say at the time, I will say, he's here. I know you don't feel it, but he's here. Tim Keller, in a book called Walking Through with God Through Pain and Suffering, wrote this, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Look at Jesus. He is perfect, right? Yet he cries. He's called a man of sorrows. Do you know why? Because he's perfect. Because when you are not absorbed in yourself, he was never absorbed in himself, you can see the sadness of the world around you. The joy of the Lord exists in sorrow also. It doesn't come after the sorrow or after uncontrollable weeping, no. The weeping drives us into the arms of the Father where we experience joy forevermore. We're back on the boat now. Jesus calls the shot. We're going to go over there. Other side of the lake, we got big things going on over there. Are you going to come with me? We're with you. We're going together. We're going to make it together. There are going to be storms. There's going to be more storms. Are you going to have faith in me when the new ones come? That's faith. That's faith. Just a couple questions to finish up with before we commune with the Lord. Why is there evil and suffering? Okay, this is the logic kicking back in again, so you may or may not hear this right now. I don't know what you're going through. Number one, because there's rebellion. And by the way, when we say rebellion, guess where the rebels are sitting? Right here. Standing right here. We are in a state of rebellion against God. It's called sin. And he's, he came to show us, I got a better place for you. We're going to go together, but right now this is still alive and real. Okay? Another reason why there's evil and suffering, because there's human free will. We've already established that. I don't totally understand why he would give me free will, why he would let me choose, except to say that we know this, Scripture teaches this, 
When we choose to obey him in our circumstances, he is given glory for that. He finds joy and glory and, 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 and life in that himself. So this is God. So realize that every form of mental illness, acute anxiety, narcissism, addiction, comes from my fixation on myself being the purpose of the universe and forgetting that he's the purpose. Because that's what sin does to us. That's what rebellion does to us. What is faith? Faith accepts that God's will stretches beyond life and eternity. Like, like my Bible, I, I, I actually looked this week, it has just over 1,500 pages in it. I could open that Bible virtually anywhere and point and read a page or a, two, a couple pages, and I could probably ask this question, God, what in the world are you thinking? Like, I'm try it someday. Just, just do it this week. Open your Bible, turn to just point and start reading. And then you might just leave, like, I don't get it. God, what are you doing? Now, I can turn to page 962, and I can read this little phrase, and it ties it all together for me. It's what he said on the cross right before he died. It is finished. Amazing. How many pages of the Bible do I need to know to know that God can be trusted? Maybe 1,500. But there's one little phrase in there that makes me think, I'm going to trust you no matter what. Because he became suffering for us. Faith believes in God's undeniable and ultimate goodness. That's what faith is. Faith trusts in the totality of all that God is, all that he sees, all that he's doing, and how I can fit into it. And faith lets God enter into suffering with me. What does suffering mean? I have no idea. I could study this for, till the end of days, and I will. I don't know what suffering means. I know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God's not here. It doesn't mean that God is absent. It doesn't mean that God's sleeping on the job. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. And you know how I know that? He came in. He got in the boat. He said, we're going over there. And he said, you can come with me. I'm going. Come, go. Trust him. Sorry about the storm. Wake up. Wake up yourself. He's with you. Lord, thank you for coming in. Thank you for letting us into your boat, for calling us to you. Lord, faith is hard to come by sometimes. But one thing's for sure, you haven't gone anywhere. As we commune today, we celebrate you. A God who would come in, a God who would suffer for us, a God who would die for us, a God who would raise from the dead to show us there's an over there we can trust. I'm coming. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I think Jesus has a tremendous amount of compassion for us when we're in a fire or when we're in a storm. And I believe he understands better than we do how faith can be tested. 
And I think what we see in situations like this on the Sea of Galilee in our own experience is he has a tremendous amount of grace for us as we trust him overall for the big picture. And just like you, just like us, all of us have gone through things where we just shook our heads and think, God, would you please wake up? Because I can't take any more of this. And we need to understand, he, he's there. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's fully understanding. And he wants us to know, I'm going over there. I want you to come with me. There's another storm that brews in about a year, year and a half from this circumstance with these disciples. It's talked about in the book of John chapter 14 where it's the night before his crucifixion. They still haven't grasped that yet. And he says some really cryptic, crazy things to them. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust, trust in God. Trust also in me. Remember the storm? Remember, you know, he didn't say this, but all kinds of things have happened. In my house, I'm going over there. In my house, there are many rooms. If I had not, if that weren't true, I would have told you, but I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there, I'm coming back for you. And you're going to be with me. And then he went to the cross. And then he died. And you know full well, they're sitting there going, what are you going to do about that? Well, I guess I'll walk out of a tomb two days later on the third day and show you what I meant. We don't always see the big picture. And sometimes the storm rocks our boat. Trust him. Get this much faith and go with him and watch what happens. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.